Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One of the things I think people that aren't in France for the World Cup might be missing, that they might not have picked up on, that they might not know, a misconception people might still be believing, which I had no idea about until what, a day or two ago. Marseille is an utter shithole. Oh, Jesus Christ. When we first booked this trip, mm. I remember saying to you, Marseille is like probably the city I'm most excited to go yeah. to, other than maybe Toulouse. Toulouse is obviously a standout, um, yeah. But Marseille, I thought like, that sounds amazing. And I brought this up to you earlier, but I th- I realised walking around there that I think I was basing that on the aerial shots above the Stad Velodrome yeah. that they do before like a European final or whatever, um, because it looks amazing around there. Oh, we'll yeah. find out. So we're recording this on Friday before the Wales quarterfinal. Um, so we're going to see it in a day. Yeah. Uh, and... This time tomorrow, we'll have cried in that stadium. Exactly, exactly. And we'll see if it's nice around there. But there's not really an area we've seen that's actively nice. We've been to a couple of areas that are fine. Yeah, there's a couple of places that are fine. We sat on one bench, had a really nice view. Mm. That was fine. That was like, that was a magic hour. You know, that was like the perfect lighting for everything. Honest to God, this place is one it's of horrible. the ugliest, dirtiest, most horrible, just repulsive like, most towns I've ever feeling. visited. God, we feel so unsafe. So, like, I, maybe we shouldn't be saying this. I don't know. The door on the place we're staying doesn't shut properly. Like, yeah. the door for the actual flat we're in is fine. But the front door doesn't shut properly. And, like, it is the dodgiest oh, like do- area. Oh, like, we popped like out to go street. to the shops earlier, right? And suddenly there was just, like... An industrial ton of broken glass on the street in front oh, of God. us. Oh, God. The whole thing's just horrible. And yeah. Just, we got bad like, vibes was, as soon as we landed. If if that much glass had broken, there would have been, like, an eternity of British pubs going, Way! Yeah. In order to break it. It was an unbelievable, horrible, horrible... Like, I, I admit, we're staying in quite a shit area, right? Um, you've got to save money somewhere on a trip around sure. 10 of the 11 host cities. Yeah. But you then thought, you know, we're wandering the city centre, see if it gets any nicer. And it's still a shit heap. Yeah. I'm very excited to go back to Nottingham in two days. Oh, mate, I can't wait. I might try and stop off in bloody St. Anne's on the way. <laughs> like, I mean, no, I'm staying for the whole thing. I'm stopping in Claremont briefly next week. Oh, man, I'm jealous of that. heading back to Paris. And, yep, semi-finals, finals. I'm almost at a point of remembering what my own bed looks like. Not really. I can barely remember anything from before I was in France. I don't oh, remember damn. anything before I was struggling to say mercy well, to everyone. Well, I'm not sleeping in a sofa bed for the first time in a while, <laughs> yeah. which is a definite plus. Yeah. I'm in a real bed now. Congratulations. Thank you. How do you feel? I feel like a big boy. You are a big boy. You are one of the biggest boys I'm in I'm six foot two. You are the biggest boy that I'm speaking to today. Yeah. Yeah. So... You're not. We ran into one uh, fan of the channel who was about 15. I apologise, we didn't ask his name as well, Um, but enormous. I think he was about 15. Yeah, I think. He had a very young-looking face. Lovely, really lovely Really nice bloke. Really excited for the England game on Sunday. Going to the Wales game as well. Seemed like a really lovely guy. Guy from Belgium, and I really hope he plays for them one day. English fan from Belgium. 
Um, I hope he plays for one of the two. One of the two. Really lovely guy. There's so many lovely people I hope we've he met just around. Plays so, for like, there's so many people, lovely people we've met in France. Like, you could, we could spend all day just shouting people out that we've met that are great. Yeah. But it's been just a wonderful, wonderful thing. However, there's also been a billion rugby matches. And I yes. think it's about time we catch up on some of the ones we haven't talked about. So I have in front of me a list of all the games we haven't talked about on this podcast. And I think we're going to try and run through some of them. Yes. And give hot, hot takes. Right? There might be some of them that we end up merging together. Yeah. Like, New Zealand put a lot of points on two reasonably good teams yeah. who should have lost by less to them, you know? We, however, we might merge them together, for instance. However, for every single game we talk about on this episode, I'm going to ask you for one hot take. Okay. And the hottest, hottest, scorchingest take that you have, and I'll try and offer a cold take in response. Okay, okay. I like okay. the sound of that. I like the sound of that. So, um... I think we start perhaps with an easy one. Okay. Um, game we were at, where was the Georgia? Yeah. Last Saturday. Um, a game that I think was an interesting one. Obviously, last year, Georgia came to Cardiff and won. This is a very, very different Wales team. I don't think that's been demonstrated so completely as it was in that game. There was a moment when David Ninyashvili scored his brilliant solo try, mm. which is a phenomenal like solo Sort of thing we've been waiting on him to do. You know, he had moments in that Portugal game where he was electric. And obviously the Fiji game as well, I thought he was great. Um, obviously moved to the wing from fullback. Yeah. And then scores this brilliant individual try and you're like, oh shit, okay. Because Pivac Wales would have shat the bed and lost the game from there. Yeah. And this team is not like that. This team is completely different. They're far more organised. And they go on not just to close out the game having been four points up, but to score another 20 points. Yeah. To score another three tries and really pull away, put the game to bed, leave themselves with a bonus point, with full points taken, and Georgia really questioning what's gone wrong. Yeah. The point at which they're talking about sacking their coach days later. Yeah. And you you talk about Gatland Wales is good at winning when not necessarily mm. playing well. That wasn't just a win. That was like, we put 40 points on them. Yeah. Like, I remember turning to you at full time and going, like, how have we scored more points in that game than we did against Australia, where it felt yeah. like, and I know that the quality of opposition or the expected quality of opposition sure. kind of perception of the quality of opposition is definitely a massive part of that mm. but it didn't feel like that was the case but actually we scored a bucket load of tries we being Wales sorry, yeah. scored a bucket load of tries in that game um, and yeah it was a very good result it was yeah. a hell of a result yeah it was a game where Wales rotated a bone to the squad we saw the players who are perhaps on the fringes you know the positions in which Wales have some depth they brought in a player for that depth um so we saw, you know, Rio Dyer came in for Josh Adams, which uh, Tommy Raffle got mad yeah. in the match. Thought Rio Dyer was fantastic. Thought Rio Dyer played yeah. really, really well. Had a really solid World Cup so far. Yeah. Do you want my hot take on this? Please. Um, so the reason why Dan Bigger wasn't brought on wasn't mm. uh, because of his injury. It was actually because Gatland doesn't rate him. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, do you want my really cold take? Go on. Talupe Fatal getting injured is bad. Fuck, <laughs> it's awful, isn't it? Literally, I remember we saw... Someone go off yeah. with their arm like slinged up in their jersey, and we'd figured out that it was either Talupe Falatau or it was Will Rowland. Well, that was it. Like, and we knew it was bad news either. So way. there was to mention another guy, uh, Dom, on the row in front of us. Oh, big up Dom! He was really such great a good guy, lad. really lovely lad, really good laugh. Um, started the chat about Lee Byrne at one point, which was very. And funny. there's only one Will Rowlands constantly. <laughs> great so stuff. he spotted someone and went, "Oh, Rowlands is struggling there. Rowlands is going to have to go off." Um, and then we looked away, followed the play for a bit. And then I pointed out to you that Falatau was going off. Falatau was going off. And then you're like, Falatau, but it's Rollins a minute ago. And then we did the announcement and it was Falatau. It was yeah. Falatau that had gone. And that moment of going like, oh shit, we're one of, losing one of our two standout players in this tournament. Because Will Rollins has 
full credit to him, been absolutely fantastic this tournament. So I have He's this... become... Him and Beard are almost Wozer's most important players. Yeah. They can't afford to lose either one of them. I have this thing that's been long running for me since when mm. Roland started his Wales career under Wayne Pivak. I think it was partially a Pivak thing rather than a Rollins thing. But basically... Um, I have never been able to tell whether or not Will Rollins has played well in a game of rugby for Wales. So I used to do the rugby pass player rating mm. for Wales constantly. And during about the 60th, 70th minute of every single game, I would ask you whether Will Rollins <laughs> played well. Because for some reason, he has this invisibility cloak to me where I've never, like, never known. I've always said, like, I've always gone, like, I don't know whether or not Will Rollins is any good. I genuinely can't tell. But in this World Cup, I've come away from every game and gone, Will Rollins has been absolutely massive yeah uh, and in that he georgia game massive he is for sure uh and went to rugby school he's very posh but he in that game i came away i was like i think he was our best player in that game mm. uh, and i was like oh my god i've just given an opinion on will Rollins. i can't <laughs> believe it and it was a, an overwhelmingly positive one so do you want my theory on why you can't rate will Rollins? me personally yeah why yeah, you okay. can't why you have no idea how good will Rollins is yeah, in the game what footedness is he uh, right. Are you but confident I in that? Hesitant. I would say, I'd say I'm about 65 Have you ever seen him kick? I think I have. Okay. I must have done. I've got a hunch that he's right-footed. Okay, I think this is saying everything. Yeah. I think you've got no idea what footing this is and you're lying <laughs> no. to me. And no. you're you can head, only, you you're can only rate a player. You Zombie. only know what a player's like. If you know what footedness they are. Yeah, I think I could probably do the most of the Welsh squad. and I feel like I, I, there's a lot of ambiguity. Tame Basham. Oh, that's a difficult one. I want to say left. My instinct but... was left, but I've got no idea. Yeah, I'm less confident on him than Will Rollins. Okay, nice. Uh, Tim Basham's card was very stupid, by the way. Oh my god! But also, full credit to him. Yeah, he got stuck in. Yeah, look, the like there's a story on the World Rugby Union social media somewhere of Tame Basham talking about where he grew up in his local rugby pitch. <laughs> and he mentions that uh, the pitch backed onto like a stables and there was like a mad horse or sometimes run out onto the pitch. And <laughs> it was that level, that level of like in the valleys, like where they've got one green space and the horse and the rugby club share it. Because those are the only two reasons you'd be on grass ever. I... And that is where Tame Basham grew up. That is a level he was playing at. That is where he belongs. In many ways, it's just a shame he was too talented and too big to stay there. <laughs> and so he's ended up playing for Wales and having to play like he's playing in like Valley's Division 4, sometimes for Wales. And I love that about him. Yeah, I want, I thought you were going to tell the other story about Tame The other story about Tame Please tell that story. The other, but, <laughs> so the Watch Rugby Union did a thing about like, what's your favourite meal you cook? Uh, and he had like Nick Tompkins going like, oh, I do spaghetti carbonara. Yeah, or Louis Ruzamit like, oh, I can go a mean lasagna. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Liam Williams and his poached eggs. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. But Tame Basham said his favourite meal he cooks is toasties. Cheese toasties. Cheese and ham toasties. And then he told a story, which is an extraordinary story that I think about every time I see We him bring this up regularly. Every time I see, I've seen Tame Basham play since, which is often, cause like, I am one of the handful of suckers who watches the dragons play, <laughs> right? Tame Basham said that one day when his parents went away for a week, right? When he was about, what, 14, <laughs> 15, what he did, because he was on his own, staying on his own at home, is he ate more than 50 cheese and ham toasties in a week. <laughs> in a week. So, <laughs> and just the means... way he said it so casually, he was just like, oh yeah, I had like over 50 of them. Like, what do you mean you had over 50 of them in a week? So the thing is, right, if you do the maths, right, if they're away for say, let's say six days. Yeah. 
it's working out that he's eating about like what 7.14 you've just done the actual math yeah i was gonna guess around eight so that's about right uh toasties per day per day (laughs) every single day he's waking up and on the clock every three hours without fail every three hours he is having a cheese toastie (laughs) including in his sleep so um if you say that he's going to be awake for 12 hours a day yeah and we're being slightly off the mark here he's He's having one every hour and a half. <laughs> if he's having the standard eight hours of sleep, yeah, he's still looking at like constantly. <laughs> no, not every hour and a half. You're talking every half an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, yeah. It is proper fish in a rice cake stuff. <laughs> and Tame Basham, he just loves cheese and ham toast. Loves cheese and ham toast, and that remains his favorite meal to this, <laughs> to this day. day. He didn't get sick of them. He's just like, I want more of them. It was my, it was my favorite meal. Is, I'm, I like them so much that I had 50 of them. It's not that he was just lazy and couldn't be bothered to do anything else. I just love the thought that he wakes he... up and just like, yeah, I'll have another one then. Do you think that's why he started that fight? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the Georgians in the mall went, cheese and toasties are shit. Look, we all know that certain players do like research on what gets under somebody's yeah, skin. Yeah. You know, like, again, I hate the I guy, but is, right? Joe Marlow's very good at it. You know? ba- underneath Tate Basham's skin is 90% cheese and ham. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And toasted in. Yeah. <laughs> The toast is his skin. Yeah. How he grew to be so big, he's a loaf of bread. So Wales played pretty well. Wales played pretty um, well. They came through a game that should have been a struggle, and they did it in some style. Yeah, Lotus Sam scored a bunch. Um, Georgia, and I think we'll segue from there onto Fiji v Georgia. Yeah. Because I think Georgia got steadily better as the competition went on. I think they started mm. really slow against Australia. They were pretty poor in that game. They had moments in the second half, but first half they were a bit all over the place. And then the next game against uh, Portugal was obviously an almost heroic day for Portugal. Georgia were great for about half an hour and then went so off the boil. And we've then seen that game against Fiji was the best game in the tournament by such a long margin. I thought they yeah. were really great and deserved to win it. And then we have the Wales game where they're perhaps less accurate as a whole, but yeah. there are the bright spots are the are brighter, you know, like they're brighter than they have been. I think there's an argument that George played better in that game than they did when they beat Wales and Cardiff. Oh, yeah, because they didn't play it's well. It's a similar George level. Wales and Cardiff. George were good for 20 minutes yeah. in that game. They yeah. were pretty ropey for the first hour, but Wales weren't doing anything past them and Wales were playing with such an accuracy and just yeah. such behind the times tactics. Yeah, you mentioned David Nenesh really moving mm. to the wing. That really paid off for them. I think that they could bring him off his wing a lot, whether it was as a first receiver or as a strike runner. Yeah. Um, he often came in and did a lot of kicking, brought a lot of it on himself and wasn't having to disorganize George's wider backline too much mm. by coming up from fullback and then sending somebody back for the backfield and so on. Like he had another winger and another fullback and even a 10 who all were on the same page as him constantly. I think he did really, really well there. Um, Luca McCarver is somebody as well who I think has got better with every He's kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because you thought Abzendazzo was absolutely nailed on to their 10 for like a decade. I, I kind of, I, I can't lie, like I didn't know much about Mike Carver going no. into this tournament and kind of thought without Abzendazzo, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. But he's played really, really well. Yeah. The, there was that, I would say viral, but obviously nobody can watch <laughs> any clips of this. Wait, have you but watched any rugby? The, no. No. No, Bill. Uh, the much talked about tackle on Luke Tangy from that Fiji mm. game, uh, which is exceptional. Mm. And he, yeah, he played really, really well in that game. Yeah. And this is the thing. I think Georgia should have won that game. I yeah. think it's a weird one because they have two moments that really stand out in the memory, right? When you're looking back on this a couple of weeks down the line, which we are, 
And I haven't watched this game back in full. No. I've glanced at a few highlights since, but I haven't watched it back since, which has been one of the nightmares of this World Cup, this whole situation. But um, there are two moments to stand out at the end of either half. So at the end of the first half, George made this brilliant breakaway and Carl Dix, without checking with the TMO, without anything else, because the try looks wrong because it comes off of a, off a back and it kind of looks like a nightmare, gives it the forward pass when it's quite clearly not when you watch it back. Mm-hmm. Um it's quite a controversial decision. It's the one people have pointed to, you know, because that would have seen them take the game. That would have put them, you know, level or ahead, you know, depending on the conversion and that. Um, would have potentially seen them out of sight for where Fiji end up. However, we then also have the last play where it's perhaps more self-inflicted. And Georgia, again, are making superb ground. They make a brilliant breakaway and they kick the ball away. They kick yeah. the ball away to chase. They go for an all-or-nothing play when they didn't have to. They're making ground. They just need to be a bit patient, and they can work up field and pull off that result. And potentially, Australia would still be in the World Cup if they had. Yeah, it, it's a really difficult game to quantify mm. for Georgia because there were moments that they managed superbly, and there were moments that they didn't manage at all. Yeah. You know, like there was the the drop goal attempt. Yes. Um, just it was, that was the, the end of the first half, wasn't it? This is a while ago. I'm kind of racking my brains. Where they missed it, they built for it, you know, pretty well, and then sadly couldn't get it through. Mm. But at that point, you figure, okay, you've made the correct decision to go for that. Keep doing that. You yeah. know, you can yeah. win this game on three pointers yeah. because you're going to just frustrate Fiji more and more and more and more. And I do feel like once that try was disallowed, I feel like that did so much for killing the momentum of Georgia. Yeah. That's it. I think it's interesting that there was a lot of talk since that's since been debunked of Levan Marshashvili, their coach, losing his job, being taken out of the job, you know, being fired off the back of this. The Georgian Rugby Union since clarified they're launching a review into him. They haven't actually made a decision either way. Um, I think this World Cup has highlighted a few things and his general time in the job has highlighted a few things. One is that he's an extremely good coach. He's yeah, extremely capable. Definitely. He's a really good motivator. He's really good at kind of building a squad and building a squad culture and improving these players. You know, he was the attack coach before this. He's been a defense coach as well. He's kind of taken a lot of the jobs and obviously graduated and worked his way up to being the head coach. And I think he's a very good head coach. Yes. Right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. However, Georgia are tactically all over the place. A more experienced coach, who perhaps is more experienced running these things and working how to make a team win, could have taken this Georgian side and got them into the quarterfinals. Yeah. Or could have taken them at least and got them to third place in the group. 
Instead, they finished bottom of the group, the- which is frankly a shambles for this the quality in this Georgia team. Yeah. There's two games there where they've had good leads and ended up blowing them. Yeah. And there's one game where they've sparked a comeback and then not quite capitalized on it. Yeah. You know, that they don't have that instinct to be able to take those. Here's the thing. So my opinion on this, I don't think my sister really should go. Me neither. I think he's an excellent coach. He is really overachieved with this Georgia team. He's got the wins over Wales, over Italy. Um, and I feel there's another one that I'm forgetting, but anyway, regardless, he's sparked some really good results for them, but I do think they could do with bringing in like a consultant this type, is it. um, co-coach, like, and again, I'm going to throw out names and I don't mean this, these guys, but like Stuart Lancaster at Leinster. Yeah. Or like what Romania tried to do with Vern Cotter. Yeah. And it was much too little, way too late for that. But if they could have something in that ballpark, just to help out Michael Spilly, because clearly he's a technical coach yeah. rather than a tactical coach. I think it would be borderline suicidal to get rid of Michael Spilly. Yeah, I mean, however, he's a Georgian. Yeah, he's a you know they need to make the most of having a proud Georgian like legend coach. Yeah, you know those things go a long way. Yeah, and I, however, think that they need to bring someone else alongside him. Yeah, whether it's they bring in a new attack and defense and forwards coach, and they just change all his backroom staff. Or whether it's the opposite and they move him in to be the assistant to someone else. He has to be there for me. He yeah. has to be there. Or as you say, you bring in a, I think that's the ideal situation is you have a kind of Leo Cullen, Stuart Lancaster type yeah. situation. I don't know if that works at test level. I don't know. I'd but... keep him Joe Worsley as well. I think yeah. he's been really good no, at defense. Yeah. And I think that those, again, this is the second time I've done this now where I've praised a bit on ITV, but they showed there was a really good feature of him and his philosophy on defence and mm-hmm. kind of like uh, how he emotionally gets players into the right mindset where they can be controlled and aggressive at the same time. And that to me, like, that really spoke to me. I thought like, no, that you can tell what they're going for in defence. Yeah. And I do think he deserves another chance. And again, this isn't to single out any think particular if, member of their coaching staff. It's weird because Georgia have conceded a lot of tries in this World Cup, right? Mm. But if you break them down and you look at them, Actually, there's not major defensive issues there. No. You know, there's a couple of breakaways where Lewis Rizamo was quicker than his opposite man. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of intercepts, uh, in that Wales game. You think yeah. that the Fiji game is similar. You've got a couple of times where they broke after very long periods in their own 22, which is going to happen to any team when they're not at the highest possible level of fitness, which yeah. as a tier two nation isn't always possible. And Georgia have been very close on a lot of occasions to that. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, like just, handful of like the, the Raphael Storty tries which are freakish bullshit yeah like and most of the one... tries have been breakaways freakish bullshit or long long sustained pressure yeah or you look at that Australia game where a lot of them are like the intercept and the Ben Dollars and try which is basically nonsense where there's a ball bounces and they're lucky yeah Georgia have just had an awful lot of luck fall against them but also they've not been putting themselves in situations to be lucky because I think they've been tactically naive a lot of the time and they kind of need to find someone you say like a Stuart Lancaster role to come in and help them do that because you need someone looking at this team and weighing up their strengths and weaknesses and working out how to work out a game plan around these players. Yes. Right? What they're trying to do at the minute is try and play to a game plan that doesn't necessarily suit them. Sure. Where they're trying to be far more dynamic, far more attacking based with a strong aggressive defense. And what you need to be going is actually this team needs to play slightly more conservative rugby. Yeah. Right? You want them playing like baby Warren ball. Sure. You know? And I think you want to look at them taking drop goals and using Ninyashvili as a You've kind of... You've got two good tens now and yeah. a winger slash fullback who plays at the highest level. Two good scrum halves. Two good scrum halves. Who yeah. both can manage the game. Yeah. Both play regularly at top 14 yeah. level. And I don't think between those two you could pick one who's outright better than the other. You no. know? And that's a great position to be in. Like, this team needs to be built around Sharikadze. 
Yeah. Right? Like, he's the captain. He's the leader. He is an incredible defensive Excellent 12. against Wales, by the way. Yes. Fantastic. That's, took his stride brilliantly. He's an excellent defensive 12, right? He runs incredibly hard. He runs a great dummy line. Again, he runs a great crash ball. He isn't the flashiest or the most advanced player in no. the world. Great Solid leader. the breakdown as well. Yeah. You need that to be the identity of this team. You know, he's yeah. the captain. You need to be using him as the kind of blueprint for what you want this team to be. Because it's what it feels like they should be. And instead, they're trying to be something else. They're trying to be Argentina in 2015, when what they need to be is Argentina in 2007. Sure. You mentioned earlier the Rafael Storti tries. Yes. Uh, Portugal scored against them. Uh, speaking of freakish moments, I think we have to quickly talk about the um, abuser Vinaya Hambossi's try, um, Belend. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not giving credit to Hambossi, but instead to Lavani Bottia. Have you seen the overhead angle of this try? No. Where there's an overhead angle where Lavani Bottia gets the ball. And you know that fucking annoying uh, still that Ruck.co.uk always share of Wales versus England like 10 years ago where Manny Tolangi makes that break and there's 10 Welsh shirts on the screen. Oh, yeah. Tolangi's yeah. the only Englishman. Um, which that just says that no English player is in support. Anyway, um, it's like that. Lavani Bottia breaks the break. He's the only Virginian on there. And genuinely, four uh, Georgians all pinch around from different directions and fail to get him to the floor. And then he bounces two more en route to the dry line wow. before popping it up to Vinay Hambossi. How the hell do you put that man on the floor? No, you don't. You don't. It's ridiculous. And good luck, England. Yeah. Um, I will say you made a mistake there in asking if I've seen a clip from this World Cup. Yeah. No, of course I haven't. <laughs> no, of fair. course I haven't. I've tried to look for them. Really annoying that, like, to hype myself up, I can't go on YouTube and look at the highlights of the Wales games from this World Cup yeah. for yeah. tomorrow. It's bloody ridiculous. It's yeah. ludicrous, which I'd normally and, do And for Fiji, you know, we're going to the Fiji yeah. game. We want to be hyped for them. We... They've got one of the best players in the world in Lavani Bottu, who we're just talking about. Yeah. And I've just said, oh, you know that amazing thing you did the other week? And yeah. you went, uh, I guess so. Yeah. You know, because bloody world rugby won't let us watch it. Anyway. An utter, utter state. Speaking of utter, utter states, right? Italy. Oh, good. Oh, no, but I need your hot take. I need your hot take on Fiji v. Georgia. Oh, oh, hot take on Fiji v. Georgia. Um, Niniashvili was good moving to the wing, but if they wanted more involved, they should move into flanker. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Do you want my cold take? Go on. Nodar Chaseshvili should keep playing in the second row. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I like it. I like it. That's extremely cold. Yeah. I don't think I moved to tens on the cards for him. No. So Italy. Italy. Jesus Christ, man. Where do you begin? And I know exactly where you begin. It's with the fact they don't kick the bloody ball. Oh, my fucking God. It's... Oh! It's so annoying. They are the most frustrating team in this competition to watch, right? And we're Wales fans. (laughs) Do you want my hot take for their game against the All Blacks? Oh, yeah. Italy were the better team. (laughs) You can't even joke about it, man. It was an absolute shambles. And it was the kind of performance, like, I said this on Twitter, but, like, at the time when they announced they were replacing Kieran Crowley... I was one of, I think, few voices that were saying, actually, I think this is a really good decision. Yeah. Um, because I was worried they had a performance like this coming for them because they are the easiest team in the world to work out for the way they've been playing under Crowley. And it's a thing Lamoureux said after the um, second game against France. He said, over the last few years, I've come to realise we were putting in performance because people are underestimating us. And if there's any positive from the last two weeks, it's that those teams aren't doing that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and now teams take us seriously. That is as good a positive as Lamoureux could bring out. Yeah. And Lamoureux is extremely passionate and an amazing captain and blah, blah, blah. We'll come on to that, though. But 
we covered this when we did the video on Italy. Yeah. Um, I think we both separately wrote a bit of a script on this and then we had this kind of cam- compromise and mix and match <laughs> the one we actually went with because we were both really harsh in different ways. But after the Wales game in the Six Nations yes. in, uh, for Italy, Kieran Crowley came out and said, oh, well, would I rather win games... Um, whilst playing a boring, box-kicking, woke brand of rugby that only simpletons would like. God, uh, I can't believe that they employ women, or something like that. I don't know. He didn't say all of that. Basically, he just said Wales are boring because they kick the ball, and I would rather play a black brand of rugby like we do um, than win games, essentially. Yeah, well, that was the thing. He didn't say, I'd rather play this style and lose, but he did say, I don't want to play that style and win. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, well, uh, hold on. No, your job is to make your team win games. Yeah. Which is extremely an extremely selfish thing to say. Yeah, that he would rather be entertained in the stand by his own team than have the thousands of other paying customers who've come to um, come to the stadium to watch his team win and not. You yeah. know that they don't get that entertainment, they don't get that enjoyment, they don't get that thing they're really passionate about mm. about their country. Um, extremely, extremely selfish, but also. Did he think that Ian Foster and Joe, Joe Schmidt, of all people, wasn't going to look at that and go, brilliant? Yeah, exactly. Let's put in low attacking kicks, get into their half, and then throw the thing about. Yeah. Um, and also bully them with our forward pack. Because yeah. New Zealand's forward pack have been incredible all World Cup. Well, this is the thing, right? So we'll jump between the two of them. The yes. France-Italy game and the New Zealand-Italy game, right? Yeah. Very, very similar games. Both teams had a very different game plan, a very different approach to how they took on Italy responding to the fact that they don't kick the bloody ball in midfield. Yeah. They only kick out their own 22. And even then, they don't always do that. Not always, like, yeah. They very regularly run from their own line, something Uruguay was able to exploit as well. Yeah. The only time Italy have changed the tactics and started kicking was the second half against Uruguay because they were terrified they were going to get exposed. Yeah. They were terrified there was an upset on the cars and they were going to lose that game. When they, so they change the 22, that. it's on fourth phase or thereabouts yeah. because they've tried running out and they go, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Let's kick on the opposition's terms. And it means it's a shit clearance. But they had so many times in that New Zealand game in particular where they were going like, eight or nine phases on terrible ball and Varney was still picking and going and trying to like snipe around the fringes when they were going backwards and then they were just getting picked off constantly and eventually get turned over and suddenly your team is knackered because you've gone through pointless phases you've been reorganizing constantly because you're going wide to wide to wide to wide trying to find space that isn't there when actually the space is in behind because teams are just using a 14-man defensive line to cover you now because they can because it's easy because they know exactly what's coming for you if they run that shape all the time where they bring a lot of people down blind last second right mm. and the thing is if you've got 14 men in the line that's so easy to cover because if you're going to use a most what like five players there yeah you know you can make five six yards on your feet it, yeah you know? so they'll make no ground or they got smashed backwards because you can easily mark it off and just go man by man by man it's so they've become the easiest team in this whole competition to defend like genuinely of every team in the bloody world cup of any every team in the pool stage i include namibia in this Italy are the easiest team to defend. Who ha- and biz- which is bizarre because they might have the best attack in the whole World Cup. They're what? They're up there. The All Blacks in Ireland and so on. They're, they've probably they're, got the best attack of any top team. Top five. Any best attack of any team that didn't get out of the pool stage. Yes. Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Portugal though. Portugal. It's between those two. Okay. Anyway, their attack is incredible, and yet they're so easy to defend. Yeah. Because they just literally, if you're playing fullback against Italy, you can put your hands in your pockets and stand yeah. in the mid- under the sticks and wait for the ball to eventually come yeah. to you. You wait eight minutes for the cover tackle you need to make in five minutes. Yeah. Like in seven minutes. I got a lot of shit on Twitter, and probably rightfully so, because uh, during that France game, I referred to Kieran Crowley as being unserious, right? Yeah. And 
people were right to give me shit, a bit of shit for that because obviously he beat Wales. Mm. Um, he beat Australia. You know, he's come up with... Yeah, but he beat Wayne Pivak's Wales. Yeah, it's not really a like, team, is it? That's an even more unserious man. Yeah, and it was thanks him. to that inexperienced TMO, according to Wayne Pivak. <laughs> Shut up. She refereed the World Cup final, you idiot. Anyway, um, he has he has produced some really good results, mm. but the time has so come for him because any current international rugby coach who thinks that kicking isn't fundamentally hmm. important to any game plan, even if you want to go all out attack, then you're not a serious candidate for no. this job. As it, again, hmm. like it's the, the most obvious example, but France kick the ball as much as any other team in the world, and they are the attacking team. They yeah. play the most exciting rugby of any team on the planet. You look at Kieran Crowley's career, right? And it's a bit similar to Michael Checker, but for very different reasons, in that he's traditionally really good for about 18 months to two years yeah and then things go off the boil but where michael checker is because he starts screaming and shouting and he loses the dressing room yeah really early and there's a little bit of his stubbornness there and everything else and sure. he starts to you know dig in a bit traditionally you know you're going off kind of reports and hearing people talk about it and whatever else i was never in a michael checker team thank god kieran crowley people work his teams out after 18 months that's two years it. like that's it he only changes his team once. He'll build a ta- set of tactics that are broadly, as you say, very, very attack oriented. Yeah. Very little kicking rugby. And then they will work them out, you know? So you saw it happen with his Canada team. Yeah. They just suddenly, their attack went downhill and they stopped scoring tries because everyone knew it was. And they couldn't close them. out games. No. Like, they were a really good attacking team, but they didn't have the mental resilience to close out games. Yeah. They didn't have the kicking game to back that up. No. You know? Exactly. I have a lot of respect for Kieran Crowley and the job he's done for Italy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But his time is more than over. Yeah. And the same thing happened with Benson's team, right? And mm. the interesting thing is that he then came through the other end and people started underestimating them again because they were shit for two years. Yeah. Like, they were really good for two years. They were then shit for two years. They were then really good for two years. Or for, you know, literally, like, literally like two months and they won the Rainbow Cup and then he gets the Italy job. Yeah. Right? That is a direct kind of progression that he's gone through. Um, and I just... I don't know, man. My instinct was this performance was coming and teams were going to work them out and actually he needed to move on to get someone else in who can properly blood for and bring through this generation of players. Gonzalo Quesada is such a good appointment because he is a serious coach who will look at this team and go, okay, I want us to win games rather than play fancy rugby or build a spirit or inspire a nation or whatever. He has such an obvious blueprint of what the team is doing wrong and how he can fix it. I want to bring up two moments and two individuals here. Mm. So the first one's not necessarily a moment, but every time Italy fucks something up, Mm. Paolo Garbisi goes insane. He bollocks somebody, he bollocks himself, he bollocks the ref. He will he will go to any length because he's a control freak and all yeah. good fly halves are. Um, Tommaso Allen to an extent does the same thing, but he's not quite as animated in the way he does it as Paolo Garbisi. Um, but I think in the last couple of games we have potentially started to see an expression on Paolo Garbisi's face which suggests maybe we're not doing this correctly. Yeah. And above that, the thing that's been talked about quite a lot, and I think probably rightfully so. The game against France, five minutes into the second yeah. half, Michele Lamoro, Italy's inspirational captain, one of their best players, their best player against Uruguay, their most recent yeah. win, and their biggest win, their best performance of 2023, um, and potentially going back, like, they possibly played better in that than they did against Wales when they beat them, you know? Lamoro gets pulled off by Crowley. Oh, that's weird phrasing. But Lamoureux gets taken <laughs> off by Crowley five minutes into the second half in that game. And Lamoureux looks to the sideline like, what are you doing? Like, come on. And 
I've seen people on Twitter potentially saying that was Crowley shifting the blame onto his captain mm. rather than on himself, which I don't disbelieve because Crowley is evidently quite stubborn. Mm. Um, and again, you have to be to be a good level coach. You need a sure. certain level of stubbornness. But there was the look on Lamoureux's face, uh, both when he came off and in the post-match interview of, yeah, I'm not willing to fight and die for this guy, you know? Yeah. Oh God, he looked so angry, so pissed Which off. So unlike him, because he's such a calm and upset. Character. Yeah. Um, and he's been the face of this team. He's become the inspirational captain. And the interesting thought I had was that when we do the retrospective podcast, right, and we look back on these teams from years down the line, generally we've picked out a lot of players. We had this with Marito Innocente, who's now the um, head of the Italian Rugby Federation was their captain in the 1987 World Cup. He was excellent. And we were like, he's brilliant. He's yeah. just so hardworking and grafting. You wouldn't necessarily think that of Lamro in this World Cup because Italy have been kind of shambles. He had one really good game where he was standout. But otherwise, you're kind of like, oh, okay, you're not seeing the play you've been seeing in the Six Nations, right? And I think something has gone on there because I've never seen Michele Lamro like he's been in those last two games. Yeah. Um, he looks emotionally drained, doesn't yeah. he? I don't think that's on form or whatever i don't think he's that kind of player i think as you say it's an emotional thing i think something's happening he's a player that plays with this kind of you know emotional edge which is why he's as good as he is here's the thing like you look at sergio parise for instance who's an extremely different type of leader to Mm. michele lamoureux and michele lamoureux i think conventionally as a captain is a much better you know more of a model leader than say parise is parise was more that talisman kind of role because he was the best player and an excellent captain in his own right parise but there was only so many times, as as an Italy player, I think it's, it affects you more than playing for a worse team than Italy. But as an Italy player, there's only so many times you can get yourself up for a game, go out there, lose it by a scoreline, go back to the dressing room and go, don't worry, lads, we're going to do it right next week. Because clearly by the end of Sergio Parise's career, he'd kind of forgotten how to do that. Not forgotten, yeah. but he'd completely lost the sense of that's what he's meant to be doing, you know? And who can blame the guy, you know? And I really don't want Lamoureux to slip into that because that's he worries, is genuinely yeah. so passionate about playing for Italy and being the captain and just so deserving of that and has been since he was about 21 years old. Yeah. And I think one day we're going to hear what's happened here. Yeah. You know, we're going to hear exactly what went on exactly what was said exactly extremely intelligent guy Michele Lamoureux like yeah if something's gone on he will find a way of articulating it or at least implying it so there's a few really interesting things about the kind of aftermath of this game right one is if you look through the press conference right normally in any press conference in the kind of World Cup or Six Nations where they have the captain and the coach out after the game it's almost always the coach doing most of the talking and then the captain is kind of silent and answers one or two questions with this press conference, Michele Lamro does most of the talking. He speaks more than Crowley, which is really rare. Uh, he also speaks in three different languages because he speaks basic French. He apologizes at one point for how poor his French is, but it's like, <laughs> oh, you're doing your best, Michele. Yeah, you know, he speaks you know, he speaks four languages. He speaks Spanish as well. Um, he's just ridiculous. He's incredibly, you know, excellent at most things. Um, but you look at him like. The thing he's angry with, he says, in rugby, when you can't do basic things, this is what happened. We play a sport where if you win the physical battle, you can stay in the match. If you don't manage to do that, you have no point in it. And, like, the thing is, he's not wrong, but, like, he's making that point at his own team and at himself in a game where he's taking off. Yeah, he's essentially preaching to the choir. Yeah. (laughs) 
I just think that Lamoureux is a figure who is more important to this team than any coach could possibly be. Um, hence him speaking so much and hence why it's interesting that he speaks so much because he is the leader of this team rather than the coach. And Crowley, you could see it on his face when he had his head in his hands, was in the process of packing his bags and getting out of there and heading back to try and kick the dog that came on the pitch once again. And oh yeah, what a dick. Yeah, this is the thing. I just, I don't know. I'm not worried about this Italy team not kicking on. I think it was really concerning performance. I would be if Crowley was staying in the job. I think Quisada is exactly what they need in a completely different mindset, a completely different yeah. guy. Again, someone that's I think he will freshen this team up. I think he'll change an awful need. lot. I yeah. think he'll change an awful lot. Um, I've got no idea how good his Italian is because he speaks English, he speaks Spanish, and he speaks French. Uh, so presumably he's got to learn Italian, probably speak better Italian than Crowley was because I think when you look at all the behind the scenes stuff, Crowley speaking English to a lot of them. And there's players like, you know, like Gobbizi and Lamaro and so on will speak really good. English and obviously players like Monte Ioani or Stephen Varney or Tommy Allen, it is their first language. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's important they reconnect with Italy. I think it's really, really important that they change some things. Yeah. And I think there's a worry and it's less widely reported in Australia because they're not as perhaps historic a nation, you know, the way Australia won two World Cups and Italy have finished third in every pool stage and they've done that again here. The rugby's continuing to fall down the list of sports and popularity yeah. in yeah. in Italy. Um, and obviously in the North, it's still a big deal. You know, it's still kind of the number two, number three sport in, you know, certain towns in the North of Italy. But in most of the country, you're seeing like the the losses in the World Cup didn't make the front pages, weren't making yeah. the pages. You know, like the fact the Rugby World Cup was on wasn't like a huge deal in it's Italian sporting papers. Because their team is so young and so promising yeah. and their pathway is so young and so promising. We have to keep it that way. And there needs to be somebody who can actually nurture this. You know? Yeah. I think obviously a lot of people speak highly of Troncon in terms of the uh, the pathway and what mm. he's doing and what he's bringing through. A lot of people rightfully speak extremely highly of Marco Bortolami and the fact that Obviously, with Benetton, he's doing an excellent job. People talk about him as a future, potentially the successor to Cusado when that day mm. eventually comes, which I know is kind of counterintuitive to talk about. But um, I think it is really important that Italy is now starting to produce good quality coaches. Yeah. And they have the resources to, to do that. And you say all that stuff about hopefully Cusado speaks a good level of Italian. Yeah. And likewise, what we were saying about Massage really earlier. Yeah. Um, you hope that that's the case, that they're going to bring yeah. those through. And again, this the Crowley era hasn't being bad but it's ended fucking woefully yeah to quickly pick up and that's the thing you don't want to like make it undermine the wins over wales and italy and um australia Australia, yeah because they were both huge and significant and important and fantastic and like for a nation that's waited so long for those wins bloody outstanding and well deserved um we should mention france a bit yeah uh really interesting that france were keeping hold of the ball as much as they did because as we mentioned they kicked more of the ball than anyone else this is the first time that, you know, first two minutes of the game, they hold the ball for like 12 phases. They keep hold of it. They score a try. Um, they've then kept hold of it repeatedly. Something Lamar brings up in the press conference that they multiple times got beyond 10, 12 phases, which is unlike France and unlike the trends in this World Cup. And yeah, a lot of these trends of how teams are attacking in this World Cup come from a little bit of the spring box in 2019, setting a template for playing four or five phases, then kicking the ball away so as to never lose momentum. France then turned that into in order to not lose momentum on your attack and changing yeah. how you attack and looking to kick and get in better and positions. And it worked for them. It works incredibly well. Think, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, yeah. And then 
they changed this up right before the quarterfinals. I don't know if that's a coincidence. I don't know if that's the thing I was saying earlier. Like New Zealand kicked an awful lot and put Italy in positions where they couldn't really exit because they were just going to keep running the ball back. Yeah. France instead kept all the ball for long passages because if they got turned over, they weren't really in any danger. Yeah. Because they'd be stuck in those same positions. So they were unworried, unfussed about losing the ball. And I wonder if it was a dry run for potentially if they need a winning try in the last play. Yeah. And you have to go for a long phase count rather than going for a risky kicking the ball away because the opposition could obviously put it yeah. up full time at that point. I wonder if that is it, seeing how they last at 10 phases when, at 10 phases, you know, when the lungs are blowing a little bit mm. more. Um, and like Damian Penno scoring tries off that, Mathieu Jalibert's try mm. was off a huge set of phases from the forwards and then the backs and was extremely like well varied up in a kind of a classic, as you say, kind mm. of 2019 Japan style way. Um yeah, I feel like it's an extra string added to France's bow, which they really yeah. needed. Oh, they really needed. I don't know. That might age terribly by the time we'll do listen to this. We should then do New Zealand. Oh, you need, I need a hot take on that game. My hot take on the France one yes. was that, is that, um, Maxime Luku is right footed because he's not his left footed. Oh, shit. My cold take is Maxime Luku's left footed. Okay. Uh, did you do a cold take on the New Zealand Italy? I don't game? think we did. Go on. Uh, so my very cold take is that Damien McKenzie, he enjoys looking at the ball. Okay, I like it. I like it. That's very cold. So, um, speaking of New Zealand, right, let's move swiftly along. As we said, New Zealand cleared their work on ethnic, they cleared a lot of analysis. Probably one of the first times since the 87 podcast, the 87 podcast, 87 World <laughs> Cup, that we covered on the podcast, that they've put out their strongest possible team against Italy. Yeah. This is in the opening game in 87. No um, Serafino Gazzoni for no Italy this time. No Serafino Oh, second no dog on the pitch. They should have picked him. No dogs on the pitch, which is even worse. No John Kerwin for New Zealand either, which I think is an upset. Yeah. Um, thinks unlikely. They also did the same for Uruguay. And Ian Foster talked about how much analysis they were doing on Uruguay and how much they were really taking that game seriously. And they didn't want to risk there being... Because there wasn't the chance of an upset, perhaps, but there's a chance of Uruguay giving them a proper game. And for 20 minutes, they were doing that. Do you think Joe Schmidt sleeps? No. <laughs> No, I don't. I think he just does analysis constantly. I think he does analysis and thinks about percentages. Yeah, he loves a good percentage. He loves a percentage. I reckon he just puts percent signs on his wall. He just Velcros them to his wall constantly. Hates decimals. Day. Yeah. Hates God, decimals. Yeah. He's, he's a rounding type guy. God, he loves rounding up. Yeah. And down. Oh, man. Rounding up, rounding down. Prefers up, though. He's Nothing a glass better. half full kind of yeah. guy. Only thing better is a good old percentage. Yeah. Out of 100, he's in... France, the country, a percent out of a hundred. But yeah, so Uruguay, we'll quickly touch on them because they mm. gave him a game for the start. There was a couple of moments where he thought like, oh my God, they might be in here. Adal, like, yeah, almost tried disallowed because um, his foot was in touch. There were a couple of moments where he thought Arata was going to do his thing. Mm. Um, and held out a try really well as well, Arata. Yeah. Held Roy New Zealand up. clearly really did the homework on Arata. I think that was probably the yeah. main talking point that would have come up in their dressing room. Is like, this guy is ridiculous. We, if we compromise ourselves out wide a little mm. bit just to make sure this guy has no room, no 1v1s he could pick off around the breakdown, then it's worth it. You yeah. know, we will let them go wide. And like, Gaston Mieres made that break earlier, early on mm. in the game because they were all looking yeah. for Ardao, not Ardao, Arata, and condensing the area around the breakdown. And Mieres gets a 1v1, yeah. makes that break down the wing. There are several moments like that where they trusted their blitz defence off the back of that. And rightfully so, because they, they worked so hard off the ball in those moments did come and then eventually they silenced them as the game went on that's it that's it right i think they identified a handful of weaknesses in this uruguay team one is their transition defense yeah i think has been across the board pretty poor 
I think it's the one area where they've kind of slipped up, really. And they've generally just about hung on in a lot of the games. But here it became a real problem. It's really exploited very well. But they managed to tie that into the fact that this isn't a weakness. It's just a fact about them. They like to keep the hold of the ball for long phases as well. They do. Right? And because they play so narrow, because, like, I mentioned this in the video we did on them, but the space between the first man in the attacking line and the deepest man in the attacking line are, is so small. It's smaller than it is for any other team. It means you can kind of afford to keep hold of the ball more because players are so condensed and they don't worry so much about committing too many men to the breakdown. The They'll commit five if they need to. Bigger, you know? Yeah. In an attack like that. And like, it's just but, the way that Etcheverry works as a 10 as yeah. well, that he loves to just really play with a defence and kind of feel them out a little yeah, bit and yeah. then see what's on. There's, like, he, I think he only like makes a decision about seven phases into an attack of how what he wants to do with mm. it, with the ball. And that's not a criticism. Not, not at There's all. There's been some people who've really laid into Escheverry for the number of errors he made. And I think he made errors, but I think like the shape he was putting on attacks was phenomenal. I think it was eventually like, worth it. You yeah, know? I think... It's kind of like the old school Finn Russell, like before yeah, he was like yeah. a Scotland first choice player. Like he would make so many errors because he would try and force things. Yeah. But the things he forced that went real well were unbelievable. I think most of the things that went well for Uruguay with the ball in hand in this tournament, and that was most of the things that went well for Uruguay in this tournament, were down to him. Yeah. It was the way he organises and shapes an attack, and it was an instant downgrade when Pachese came on most of the time. Yeah. Much as I love him, and I think actually it was different in this game. I think he was Pachese played this game. very well in this game. Um, and it's such a shame he didn't to get any points down. on... Yeah. You know, in the game. But yeah, I love that guy. Really glad he managed to get a bit of a comeback here. And likewise, in that kind of final passage against uh, Namibia in the previous week, we put in the chip and, you know, knocked over a couple of points. Um, however, yeah, I think Uruguay also, by the fact they're keeping on the ball an awful lot, it meant every now and again a chance for a turnover will present itself if you can get there quickly enough, you can kind of win that yeah. race. And you see them able to turn over a lot, chase a lot on that. And they also ran an awful lot of first phase moves because that's when Uruguay are the weakest. The longer Uruguay are in their fight there in defence, the better their defence seems to get. But off first phase, off line out and scrum, they're most vulnerable. And it's something France didn't do. France were running crash ups and then trying to exploit them two or three phases down yeah. the line. Um, it's something Italy did in the second half, not so much the first half. And if you can just make those handful of players, you know, so Arcos Perez didn't play in this game. I rate him incredibly highly. Yeah. Um, Thomas Incarte, yeah. who's at 13, former scrum off, um, former sevens player, has played on the wing as well, kind of all over the place as a utility back. Um, he is a little bit indecisive in defence. And we saw them exploit that. You know, they scored the same off the same move twice very yeah. early on. Inciate as well dropped two balls in the 22 yeah. in that early phase. I think Villaseca dropped one as well. That was really frustrating, but clearly mm. they knew that they could, again, condense around the area of those guys and force them to force their skills, you know, yeah. force them to make that extra pass. Um, and again, like, it's extremely simple defence, but they yeah. knew that that was what they had to do. Yeah. And like, Inciate is a fantastic player, but yeah. again, if you oh, yeah. put pressure on him, he will make errors. And this is like the other thing, Mary. right? That most of this Uruguay team, like we talked about over the Nations, haven't really played at this level, at this no, standard. This right? speed. And something Villaseca talked about, like, we haven't played against a team that plays this quickly ever before. Yeah. Like, yeah. never. It's no coincidence that the All Blacks point scoring was basically exponential mm. you know as the game went on they were scoring more and more and more and that's not just a Uruguay getting tired thing it's just that their speed is staying at the same level mm. and New Zealand's is constantly going up and the pace that they worked out on attack was perfect like they were able to keep to a really handy pace that wasn't like watching Ireland yeah super super quick like they're they're not playing breakneck speed but they were playing at a level at a pace that was really comfortable and really handy and yeah. worked well for them Hot take. Mm. 
Cam Roygaard isn't real. <laughs> I'm yet to see any proof. Yet to see any proof. He's been in front of us in that uh, Namibia game. He was right in front of us. Still don't know. Still, nah, still don't believe in him. Not for me. Um, but yeah, I just think New Zealand, you know, using first phase moves, there was one in particular he pulled out in the second half. I was like, why would you pull that when you're 50 points up against Uruguay? Yeah, but, we had a chat about this. I have a feeling they improvised that as the scrum was setting. Yeah. There was, it was the one that, uh, Will Jordan scored off it in yeah. the end? Where they that doesn't had, narrow it down. Though. Yeah, they had but, Damian McKenzie on a hard line yeah, and then snap it back to Bowden Barrett, um, in the boot, semi boot kind of, I think it's called a jack ball mm. where like, he's facing the same way that he catches the ball from rather than turning his shoulders around and his hips. Uh, It's hard to describe in podcast form. But yeah, um, lovely move. And yeah, baffling. But like that was the thing. The new first phase was where you exploit Uruguay. You just got to put a lot of pressure on 13 in the wing. And like the wingers are all like incredibly dynamic runners with the ball in hand. But a lot of them now are quite young and experienced. And we saw them really tear it up and really tear them open. And it was a shame to see as someone very invested in the Uruguay team. But the first three minutes was fantastic and New Zealand looked really good. And actually, it probably gives you more heart than you think. Because normally when you see it battering, you're like, well, it's kind of irrelevant. You know, it's yeah. nearly... Villa Saga said they'll learn from it. Yeah. But from a New Zealand point of view, actually there's more to be said for that game than you oh, think normally. Yes, yes. By the fact that they did their homework. Right. Yeah. And those Same two with wins Italy over Italy and Uruguay are wins that have come from analysis from understanding their opposition incredibly well. And if they're doing that level of analysis or even, you know, like several times multiplied on Ireland, suddenly that changes that game entirely. Massively. Right. In a way that actually in past World Cups, when they just put a lot of points past, you know, like a team who, you know, they just kind of turned up and rocked past and played their standard, like, you know, one free free one type system. And that was enough to get them past them because they're superior rugby players. Yeah. What they saw instead was that level of analysis, that level of care, that level of attention, that level of bespoke game plan put into even the games against Uruguay and Italy, rather than just the game against France. Yeah, Actually, if they're putting that into Ireland, that is a very different prospect. But also, we saw them put that level of game plan in against France, and it didn't pay off. So, yeah. who knows? Who knows? After we those games, full of a video on that. Yeah, after those games happened, I kind of, again, put something on Twitter just saying, like, Dude, the All Blacks have turned themselves into contenders with these. And people were going, oh, it's just Italy and Uruguay. It's nothing much in Namibia. Um, and it's like, no, no, no. The point is, again, they're about 30 points better than Italy. Yeah. And they're maybe about 40 points better than Uruguay. Yeah. And instead, they've put, what, 90 on one and 60 on the other. Yeah. And 70. 70, yeah, on the other. And they deserve those score lines. That's yeah. the important thing. In both of those games, those, those score lines do not flatter New Zealand at no. all. That they've absolutely they've done their homework and they've come away with those because they are that and good a team. It now. wasn't a case of like England against Chile, right, where the other team just couldn't hack it after. No, 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 no. They were that like, good. These are two very different teams. Like they Uruguay, made Uruguay, they made Uruguay and Italy both look shite. Yeah, and Uruguay really gave France and Italy games. Yeah, um, Uruguay France didn't get a bonus point, let alone yeah. seventy points. So, you know, it's. <laughs> It's a very, very interesting, I think, performance uh, run for New Zealand, and it may yet prove to be nothing. It may be when we look back on as, oh, that was a weird curio. And remember when New Zealand put all their focus on the Uruguay game instead of the quarterfinal? <laughs> yeah, sure. But also, it might be like the harbinger of what's to come. New Zealand, with that level of talent and athletes, suddenly, with that level of analysis that Joe Schmidt's bringing to them, and the steel that Jason Ryan's bringing to them, it's very interesting. Give me a hold, t- a hold cake. Uh, a cold a take. hold cake. Give me a cold a take. A hold cake. Here you are. Here's a lemon drizzle. Give me a cold take. To hold. Um, a cold take on this particular game is that, uh, 
too many of the Uruguayans, or maybe not enough Uruguayans, are from South America. Okay, that's that's quite a cold take. I reckon we should have a quick look at Tonga against Romania. You want? You, I need a hot take from you first. Oh, I've already given you one. What? I told you the camera I got doesn't exist. Oh, uh, cool. Okay, so yeah, Tonga v Romania. Last one for this. Ooh, we did it. We got through them. Oh, yeah, almost. Yeah. Okay, so Tonga v Romania. Uh, really fun. Really yeah, fun. I had a great yeah. time with this game. I was so pleased that finally we've seen Romania give a good account for themselves because yes. they've not been great in this World Cup. Like, we can't dance around it. We've talked but, an awful lot, I think, about Romania and the situation as well in this podcast. Yes, exactly. But they were great fun. They yeah. were really, really good entertainment. I'm going to give you a hot take and preface it by saying I don't actually believe it. Okay, I don't believe okay. this. Okay. Florence Sergio just needs to man up. <laughs> I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, me too, obviously. That is the moment of this game. That is a moment that will be a moment of the year at the end of the year. Uh, what a sentence that was. Florence Soju scoring a try in his final game for Romania. He's got 104 caps, I believe, yeah. for Romania. Unbelievable serving. One of the greatest legends they've ever had, you know. Maybe their greatest ever scrum off, and they've had some bloody good scrum offs. They over certainly the years. have, yeah. You know, it's been an area whenever we've gone back over past World Cups where they've always had a great scrum off, you know. Yeah. Be it in the 80s, be it in the, uh, the, the noughties, or be it 2011, 2015, and would have been 2019 if they, they hadn't got disqualified. Florence Herodou. Yes. Um, outstanding servant for them. I think he's one of those players that can play to basically whatever game plan you mm. give him. He's a really good kicking nine, really good passing nine, and him scoring a try in this game, his first rugby World Cup try as well. Like, he's not known for scoring many tries, no. I think, and yet he took that one beautifully. Yeah. And what a moment, you know, the defender that holds off and goes to mark uh, on you two on the wing. What a choice. What a choice that was. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming it was uh town player, but, you know, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't seen this game since it was put live sure. because there's no footage on the internet. But yeah, beautiful moment. Really, really lovely. Um very well deserved him bursting into tears repeatedly he did at the anthem he welled up at his try and then when he came off he cried a bucket load he uh, has the, must have the highest percentage of certainly a male player mm. who's cried the most at rugby world cup appearances and i love that That's i think shit. overall i yeah. think i think overall um well, that's absolute absolute king shit yeah. good on him good on him i love him and yeah if anyone wants a great moment because you can't look at footage of this world cup go back and look at him in 2015 you know yeah. he proposed to his girlfriend on the pitch and they're still together which is wonderful i think they've got two children they've now got two kids now um, yeah and they're married which is wonderful and he starts just weeping uh they beat canada late brilliant brilliant kick biggest by, to ever come back in a world cup yeah Florent Vleku, and still is uh, who just retired last year sadly oh i miss him i know so did Romania. Yeah, they but, could have done with him. Um, but yeah, he then walked around the pitch, like absolutely sobbing. Um, and what was the other one? He cried another game got as well, didn't he? battered by, not Ireland, because that was only proposed to his girlfriend at Wembley. There was another one where this team got battered and he played really France. well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just cried. He cried in the anthem. And, he cried in the anthem. And, yeah, that might have been it. Yeah. But anyway, dude loves a good cry in a rugby world cup. He loves a cry. He loves a cry. Um, Somebody I quickly want to talk about uh, for Romania before mm. we get onto Tonga is Mary Simonescu at fullback. Yeah. Mate, was class. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, so he was talked about on commentary as 
one of these kids who's come through says that I'll be living a really dodgy life on the street mm. right now. Rugby saved my life. Um, and it's just saved my, my general lifestyle. The fact that I now get to do this, I get to go on the world stage and be a rugby player. Mm. Um, it's really, really changed me. And God, he was good. He was not only entertaining. I think the first 20 minutes he committed to being entertaining and just running everything back and doing like outlandish goose steps and so mm. on. And then he just looked so solid as the game went on and he got a yellow card, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but otherwise, like, I think he was outstanding. Oh, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He's just so, so, so much fun. No, he got yellow card against Scotland. He didn't Scotland. in this game. But yeah, um, he's been one of the real standouts this competition. Yeah. And the moment that Hinkley Velvassa fell out and Taylor Konteniak fell out. And Gabriel and we've talked Pop, about them. yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gabriel Pop, who didn't get to play much, but like really talented right. young kid for Romania. Yeah, he's going to do well. In yeah. He kind of had to step up as their big attacking weapon. And mm. God, he was good. He was really fun. Um, the lines he can hit and his ability to beat a man is amazing. And like, ugh, this sounds like faint praise, but like, it won't have been an easy selection for Upshock to pick him over Popeye. Mm. You know, with all his guys out injured, that probably would have been the obvious person to bring in but Simonescu instead has brought something different to this Romanian backline he's been you know they've been quite a direct backline and I feel like he's yeah. played extremely differently he's been really and chaotic likewise Alan Kokash uh, fly half the scrum half normally yeah. now we did a big deep dive into this Romania team right and I have an awful lot of <laughs> completely pointless knowledge oh, yeah, me too. about how often Romania have changed their oh, halfbacks man. Over the last few years, right? Mate, that so, whole ordeal the other week with him starting and then the, the, the death of that tongue again, yeah. Front row oh. going into the sin bin and the, they brought off Gabriel Rupanu and moved him into nine for the, for the front row sin bin to, replacement to come on. And she's like, why would you bring your nine off for that? Yeah. Bizarre. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, just baffling. Uh, he was not a name I picked up much on. You know, I hadn't seen him I didn't really. know who he was before and he was brought Look, in. I'd gone through and watched Romania and I think they changed their halfback combination something like 12 games in a row yeah they did yeah. and they had like eight different fly halves play and obviously it was mostly a combination of Suraju, uh rupanu and um the Calafatiano. Calafatiano. before he retired uh and there's another floran uh no other gabriel never mind anyway yeah. they had they had four scrum halves basically they were rotating between an awful lot uh, and then yeah Calafatiano before he retired last year um that was all kind of coming back and forth. And then they had the fly-off changing so much. They had so many of their outside backs, including Hingley Vavasa, who played yeah, 13 pop, games 10. Popper, Popawaya, Baldor, Vavasa, all playing 10. Yeah. Um, and more. Baldor, like, so many of them. They had so many just different options at 10 that were changing constantly. Bukor. A lot of them, yeah, weren't natural fly-halves. Some of them were natural fly-halves and weren't playing. And it was a nightmare. One name I hadn't paid any attention to that I hadn't seen was Alan Connash. Yes. Scrum half, young scrum half, I think he's 21 years old, who they ended up playing at fly half, and he is class. He, he is really solid. Good. And the word on the street is that he's twice as good at scrum half as he is at fly yeah. half. So that's a super exciting thing to see. But he looks so confident. He's got mm. a chip on his shoulder, and I really like that about him because he's come into an extremely underperforming team mm. playing against much better tides. And he's looked really confident yeah. and willing to go for ballsy plays, like going for cross kicks in his own 22 and stuff. And they don't always come off. But it's great. Like He's got this weird floatiness that you only really get when you put wingers or scrum halves at 10. Yeah. There's this like real, real like 
change dynamism that you get when a 10 isn't thinking about any options other than do I have a crack or do I pass the guy next to me? Yeah. And it like changes the way that you engage with a defense. And he's got that. Like he's got a real knack for just like finding space that he shouldn't be finding that most 10s wouldn't be finding. Fun stat that Sam Lana tweeted, uh, at least in the professional era might be ever the shortest fly, starting fly half in the Rugby World Cup. Oh, wow. Uh, five foot seven. Hmm. Wow. That's, I'm amazed that's the shortest it got. Yeah. I'm amazed there aren't more fly-offs like that. Yeah. I'm amazed Sam Costello isn't that high. Wales should have started Matthew Morgan at 10 mm. or something. I don't know. God. Shut up. Bloody um, orders. But yeah, I thought he was Mark very Rain, good. That's what I mean. Uh, I think the other name worth mentioning is Christy Bobock. Yeah, At seven, who, again, a player that had to come into the team because there was a couple of injuries, a couple of suspensions. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and Adrian Motok in the second row as well, yes. I thought was fantastic. Carried really, really well. Man, he works. He's a grafter, man. Yeah. I just, I, I'm just here for players like that. And Alexandre Sarvin, likewise, playing his last game. Yes. Um, right at the end of his career. And Andre Gorin as well. Like, you've got a few legends of the team there who are retiring. Seven had one of those worked games. really hard. Where it was like, I'm going to do one of everything in this game just to celebrate. I'm going to kick the ball. I'm going to chuck it. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to make a big hit. I'm going to maybe see if I can get sent off. I'm going to try and do everything. And I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, I thought Chrissy Bobber might be man of the match if we were picking it on the, okay. on the podcast. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Uh, we should talk about Tonga a bit. Tonga, um, brilliant to see yeah, to the play as well. last game of the Tosai Kefu era we are both skeptics of Toto Kefu don't <laughs> say that again. rate him as a coach at all but um look he managed to get a team up for this game he spent most of his era campaigning for law changes rather than actually trying to coach his team yeah um and some of them worked because he was suddenly given a bunch of stardust here and he said it's going consolation tries that was going tries to put them in the lead yeah. and they had frankly a team with the level of talent Tonga had shouldn't have given and let Romania get into the game as much as they did. No, you know, there's a point in which Romania could pull off an upset here. And this is not the Romania team of a year ago, where, you know, the last time these two teams played, Romania won quite comfortably. But that was a very, very different Romania team. Yeah. That, you know, we've talked about at some length what happened with Andy Robinson's fallout and the way they've gone downhill immediately and immensely in a year. But yeah, this Tonga team perhaps let them into the game too much, but I'm all for that. It made it much more entertaining. Oh, yeah, the game. yeah, yeah. And uh, it was very open, you know. Yeah. And who doesn't love a game where you're seeing Celesi Piatal get loads of touches mm. of the ball, you know, and seeing him in open space? Because you say about Stardust, like, that guy's offloading is unbelievable. Yeah. And the breaks he makes, like, we see it for Bristol every week. And because he's played in such a shit Tonga team, we've, we've only seen it in, like, very small flashes in yeah. each game in his World Cup. We've seen him do one exceptional thing per game, sort of. Yeah. Whereas here, we're seeing him get loads and loads of ball. And this is the thing, right? So he gave a pass when he easily could have scored himself to Solomon Kata for his second try. Yes. Right? If he hadn't given that, all of the Tongan backs from 11 to 15 would have scored. Oh, that would have been And that's great. so rare. It's so rare that you get 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, all scoring. Fun fact. One Plus of my, 23. One of my mates who's more of a football fan um, tuned in he tuned in for the Ireland-Tonga game and then decided Tonga was his team. So he tuned in for this game and he asked me who should he bet on to score two tries. And I said either Ch- uh, Celesi Piatau or uh, Solomon Ikata. Um, and he bet on Piatau. And he passed the ball to Kata a metre out from the trial line twice to <laughs> score. <laughs> and he was fucking livid with me Perfect insult. Um, but yes, uh, Slater Peter, Solomon Akata, I think, was mm. outstanding. 
uh, on the wing. Took his tries really, really well. Carried the ball really nice. Patrick Pellegrini once again. Yes. Oh, almost, man. almost, almost. The definition of a try hard. And I, I loved it. Like every time he got the ball, he's like, right, I'm going to score again. Just to live, just so the commentators mentioned pet the commentary once yeah. more. It was great. Like, and he was really, really good off the bench, mm. making breaks constantly, uh, taking quick taps, the lot, like running everything back on counter attack, just yeah. putting himself in positions where we could make line breaks. And that was really good. Um, do you have a point? Well, we've bigged up Darren Townsend for an awful lot. I think we need to keep bigging him up. He obviously bigged himself up a lot himself in Japan. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's on us to do that uh, now instead. But yeah, I thought he's just been brilliant. He's just been like properly one of the best players in this pool and stage. 70 minute performance here. 71 minutes he played here, man. Shit. 71 man. minutes. He's been brilliant. He's captained the team really well. He's just been absolutely everything you possibly have from a tight head. We're going like, to, at then more. some point, I think, do generally like wrap all of the leaving parties that we usually yeah, do on the podcast yeah. into one, probably after the tournament's finished or maybe like in semi-final week or something, yeah. just to, to, to put that out while there's less games going on. But he, for me, has been Tonga's best player. I think oh, he's com- just been outstanding every game. One guy as well I have to touch on, George Mawala, the official man yep. of the match. Was so, so good. Um, arguably shouldn't have been back for this game, but it was good to see him play. I was, I've always been a little bit skeptical about George Mawalo in this Tonga team, like where he'll slot in and so mm. on, but they brought him in for Fekitoa with Peter Aki, who I think mm. was again fantastic. Usually we see him more as a defensive player, but you kind of forget that like, oh no, he's outstanding in the tight, like the lines he runs, his physical strength when he yeah. has the ball is unbelievable. Those two worked really, really well together, particularly in attack. Moala's lines that he ran were fantastic. And just, that guy is so strong, uh, has a great fend on him. And we, yeah. Finally saw in this game, the Romanian mall has been so dangerous in all of tier two rugby for the last few years. We suddenly saw that kind of coming good and starting to click a bit. And Adam Coleman did an amazing job of properly disrupting that. Like, it's probably yeah. really strong performance from him. Like, really standout game from him. Uh, William Havili, likewise, I just want to mention on a similar note, like, when we were looking at this Tonga team before the World Cup, we were like, well, you know, there's a lot of talent there, but like the 10's William Havili, and he's not yeah. quite the same standard. And he's a good 10, yeah. but he's not, you know, he's very much an outlier when you put him in a back line with Peter but, Aki, Malachi Fekitoa, Selesi Piatau, Israel Twatface Falau. Yeah. You know, and Solomon Ikata. Yeah, and yeah, he has shone above most of them in this World Cup. Yes. He he's been the one that's really Truthfully, stood out. Yeah. Like, he's really stood up, gone beyond the level we thought he was capable of, and has put himself in a position where, like, if a pro day dirt team isn't like snapping the hell out of him, up, oh mate, he's or, a bargain. You know, yeah, he's like a really strong goal kicker now. Yeah, um, he runs an attack incredibly well. He's like a great second choice player for anyone in the Premiership or like a starting ten. You know, uh, yeah, pro day dirt or you know, uh, again th- those kind of in between levels. Yeah, the pro yeah. day is a weird level because it's so high above the Championship or the Welsh Prem or any of those levels, ITM Cup even. But you know, it's still not quite the the sure. prem or the top 14 um but it's good but, exposure yeah. to that level of rugby, absolutely absolutely so yeah i mean great player really strong player really good really skill good, set on him yeah just like really come of age just really like become Definitely. a player gone beyond what i thought his ceiling was and can't praise him highly enough for that like yeah. really really impressed with him as a player um other guy i think we have to mention uh kieran talmaflau Yes, I was so uh, really hoping you'd bring him up. 20-year-old kid coming off the bench. It might even be younger than that, isn't he? I don't know, but, I don't know. But he's young and he is bloody exciting. His finish off the bench is unbelievable. 20 years old, comes off the bench and, yeah, I mean, just like absolutely ridiculous. Has scored four tries in five tests. Rugby World Cup debut here and Oof. managed to make another. He's 
an absolutely electric player. I think we're going to see a lot of him. I think he's going to be like a David Niniashvili who just kind of slowly takes off somewhere. I feel like he's one of those players, again, he's played, what, like 10-odd minutes in this World Cup? Yeah. And somebody's going to look at that and just go, okay, if he can do that, we can coach him to do a lot more. You know, and I feel like he's going to get a disproportionately good contract for the amount of minutes he's played in this World Cup because he just looks really exciting. 13 minutes played in this Rugby World Cup. I feel like someone's going to snap him up just on the basis of what we could see in that because he looks electrifying. And look, where better to find a talent than in a game like that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, No, I thought he was superb. And exciting as all hell. Remember the name. Yeah. Uh, one quick word as well. Peter Aki, I thought, did a really good job of just like keeping, shutting that period down where um, Romania were on top. Like, suddenly had that moment. You know, like when you're playing a video game, you've been sort of lazing about, then you realize you're about to lose, and you're like, oh shit, I've got to pay attention yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Peter Aki kind of did that, and he scores Look. his try, and he like put in a couple of big tackles, and he kind of had yeah, the moment where he made himself like three up. breaks on the trot, and yeah. he was just constantly going, lads, come on. But yeah, I think, you know, really fun game. Florence Oroju, the stand-up moment. Yes. Um, and the sort of game I'm enjoying, looking, I'm looking forward to us talking about in 10 years' time oh, yeah, yeah. on this stupid podcast. When we know podcast. what Tamofalao is actually like, yeah. potentially. Yeah, I mean, he's probably going to turn out to be like a massive, like, bell end or something, isn't he? Oh, don't Or an all-time great. Yes. Um, um, or he'll just disappear take, off the back of this. Hot take. Taumafalau, if he played 12 minutes, wouldn't have a future rugby career. But because Ooh. he's played 13, it'll be all right. My cold take, Romania have the best shirt in this World Cup. Yeah, that is pretty that's cold. A, it's a cold take. I would say cold that's a mid take. take like, no, 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 no. But, I'm so confident in it. I'm saying it's a cold take. Okay. okay. I think Romania have the best shirt in this World Cup. I think I agree with you. Mm. Namibia's is bloody nice though. Namibia's is all right. Namibia's is good. But I think up close, Romania takes on another level. I do like the France Awakening. I think well. there's like some of the details, some of the kind of stuff tying in is like Romanian heritage that led them doing that mad wolf oh, design. Oh, the inscriptions are really nice. Yeah, they? and the yeah. kind of stuff on the shoulders. Really good, really, really good kit. Um, very proud owner of it's Romania kit. hard to disagree. So, that brings us through. We've wrapped up most of the games that we hadn't talked about yet. There's still three more which we'll cover at some point in the near future. Yeah, uh, okay. We've also got quarterfinals. We're going to do an episode on each one of the quarterfinals. That was uh, a skill from me, I believe, is the term. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go and let out more cold takes. Please, in the meantime, continue having a rugby. And if you potentially want a rugby, then I think you should go away and do some rugby. Give me a cold take about life. <laughs> well... If you want a cold take about life, I think that life is a lot like a sofa. Sometimes it's best sat on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 